Hello, and welcome back to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for highly sensitive people who are brave enough to want to get out there in the world, share their gifts, not hide, uh, but do that in a way that doesn't exhaust themselves and doesn't get them into feeling sick, into that zone of uh, dis-ease. I'm Leah Burkhart. I'm the hostess on the show, health coach extraordinaire, health educator, health nut, let's just be honest. Uh, and today, in today's episode, what I want to talk a bit about is specifically how the highly sensitive millennial can survive in our world with our particular challenges. Notice that I said our. I am a highly sensitive millennial myself. Um, if that wasn't indicative, you know, if you weren't able to tell by the fact that I have a podcast. <laughs> like, anyway, so yeah, I, as a highly sensitive person who is also a millennial, I've noticed that I personally have some challenges that, are, that seem to be specific to my generation as well as specific to being highly sensitive. Uh, and so I thought it would be in- important to have this conversation about it because others in my life who are in my age group and who also identify as being on the more sensitive side of that sensitivity spectrum uh, report having some of these same challenges that I do. And so I wanted to post some, you know, of the strategies, like a, a survival guide, if you will. Uh, here. So uh, what you have today are the top 10 health tips for highly sensitive millennials. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, what I want to do uh, is basically just run through each of the 10. Uh, and each time that I go through one of the examples, what I intend to do is talk a bit about why that's important and what challenge that it's helping to meet. Um, and so, yeah, if there are any questions afterward, please feel free to share your questions. I'm always happy to chat with anyone who's interested to learn more. So number one, the first health tip or survival guide feature that I'm going to post here is practice minimalism, which is a weird thing to put as a health tip, I know. But, well, first of all, it's probably helpful to talk about what that is. <laughs> so minimalism. My very abbreviated version slash definition is simply this. Minimalism is the act of asking the question, does this add value? If the answer is no, you get rid of it. If the answer is yes, you keep it. It's really that simple. Um, If you're curious at all about some of the nuances of minimalism, I would highly recommend uh, taking a look at the Minimalists podcast. They're a great couple of guys. They talk about how to adopt minimalism, what it means, how to integrate it into your life, all that jazz. For the purposes of today's show, what I just want to go over uh, are some basics. So if you develop a practice of asking the question, does this actually add value? Another way of putting it is, do I really need this? Or how will this serve me? What am I going to get out of this? If you apply these kinds of questions to all areas of your life, what you can start to do is get rid of the crap. You're getting out the junk. And sometimes junk means the actual stuff. So there are some people who, when they're practicing minimalism, manage to filter out all of the junk and they only have 100 belongings after they're done. Good for them, by the way. You don't have to do that to be a minimalist, though. So for some people, it looks like downsizing into a tiny home. For other people, it just looks like cleaning out their garage. It's, again, over and over about asking what is enough. 
So Brene Brown had a phenomenal line with this. It was, you know, the opposite of scarcity is not abundance. It's simply enough. So practicing minimalism is the art of finding out where that spot is for you personally, because it is different for everyone. So this theme, this thread of minimalism is going to weave its way in and out of just about all the other nine that I talk about today, which is why I put this as number one. Why would I include this as a health tip for highly sensitive millennials? Two reasons. One, highly sensitive people tend to be a pretty discerning bunch already. They love asking these kinds of questions. They're introspective people, even the extroverted ones, I promise you. We'll drive you crazy with our introspective insights, I promise. Uh, So number two, so we're adept at this. We already have a skill set that works beautifully for this philosophy. Number two, I don't know if you know this. I'm pretty sure you do. If you are either a millennial or the parent of one, you know we broke. (laughs) We don't have a lot of resources on the whole. Some of us, obviously, there are exceptions. I mean, you know, Zuckerberg aside. Most of us are not Zuckerberg. So we're in this interesting place where we're overeducated and underemployed. It's getting better, but we're still very much in that zone. We have a couple of options. We don't necessarily have control over that. We can't just fix the economy, much as we might try. But we can change our relationship to the situation. So rather than see it as a victimizing state, We can look at it and say, hey, this is a really great opportunity for us to be very deliberate about how much money we actually need to make, how much time we're willing to give. You know, how do we get creative? You over-educate a bunch of people and then you give them a lot of time to twiddle their thumbs, they're going to come up with some pretty cool ideas. Some of them won't be functional, but they'll still be interesting. So minimalism in this way really serves a group of people who have a lot of time, who have a lot of knowledge, have some skills. And then on top of that, you have a group of people who are constantly engaging with one another, Um, not in necessarily face-to-face connections. We'll talk more about that. But we're constantly throwing around ideas and we're getting pretty creative about how we can live a meaningful life. So practicing minimalism fits really beautifully with the temperament of a highly sensitive person and the tools available to a millennial in particular, as well as the challenges that we're being kind of forced to reckon with. So moving right along here. So number two, what's a number two thing for a highly sensitive millennial to practice? Eat your veggies. (laughs) um, And not just your veggies. I mean, eat healthy food at regular intervals. This really isn't special to highly sensitive people. In, 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 in my nutrition podcast, this came up before. This comes up in most highly sensitive people survival guides. Eat regularly. If you've ever been friends with a highly sensitive person and then found out what happened when they didn't eat, it's like the opposite of the gremlins. So With gremlins, there's only certain numbers of times that you should feed them. With a highly sensitive person, if you do not feed them regularly, they will turn into little monsters. Not even little monsters. Big monsters. Huge. Um, What is that doing to help your health? Well, it's balancing your blood sugar. Highly sensitive people are particularly sensitive. It's a big surprise there. 
to blood sugar imbalances. We have that capacity to be very attuned to our bodies. So when our blood sugar drops, we, we tend to feel it a little bit more intensely. So one of the first things that you really want to do is be asking yourself, okay, you, know, you want to be eating regularly and follow Michael Pollan's rules, man. I mean, talk about minimalism. Eat food. <laughs> Don't eat too much and eat mostly plants. How that can translate for a highly sensitive person? Eat every few hours. At each meal, don't eat too much. And eat mostly plants. We eat a lot of vegetables. To be clear, I'm not a vegan. I'm not vegetarian. I'm an omnivore. But what I am saying is, no matter who you are or how you identify your eating style, you really should be eating your vegetables. And you want to eat them about every two to four hours. When you do that, you balance your blood sugar. When you balance your blood sugar, you give yourself more capacity to make really good decisions. So minimalism actually plays into this, funny enough. The, what I tell folks who are working with me at, you know, when, I'm a, when I'm nutritioning them, that's what I was going to say, I swear. Oh, God. As a nutritionist, when asked for advice about how to eat, one of the first things I tell people is take a week, Whenever you eat, write down a few notes about how you felt before and how you felt afterward. If you leave the table with more energy than when you had when you got there, you did something right. On the other hand, if you leave the table having less energy than when you got there, i.e. food coma, you did something wrong. So highly sensitive people are particularly well equipped to be asking these kinds of questions of themselves and be dictating the notes in between. So when you eat regularly, you balance your blood sugar. If you're eating healthy food, mostly plants, i.e. vegetables, you're giving yourself a healthy fiber amount. You're giving yourself some balanced blood sugar as well as uh, you know, a lot of micronutrients for your immune system. You're increasing your capacity. You don't want to eat too little because then you'll be hangry. And you don't want to eat too much because you'll feel like crap. So minimalism, once again, plays a part here. Anytime that you sit down to eat, ask yourself the question, Will this add value? What am I going to get out of this? Number three, move. <laughs> I, I mean, highly sensitive people all probably should be moving their bodies. I, non-sensitive people should be moving their bodies. Sociopaths should be moving their bodies. I don't care who you are, move. The body was built to move all the time. Indigenous tribes who typically enough don't have any uh, chronic illness, are often walking as much as fifteen to 18,000 steps a day. That's just normal of all ages. So we should be moving all the time. Why would you want to move? What's so important for highly sensitive people? To be honest, it's not really special. All people should be moving. But highly sensitive people in particular are sort of geared to reap the most benefit. We tend to carry a lot of tension in our bodies, a lot of stress that we accumulate over the day. And so any time that that cortisol, that adrenaline is building in the system, it's, it can wreak a bit of havoc, especially when you have a more sensitive system and therefore are more inclined to, um, you know, to be stressed. We're more easily stressed out, and so therefore we need to be more deliberate about developing strategies. Whenever you move your body, you reduce stress. You, you basically use cortisol and adrenaline in your favor. 
And how does that, how might minimalism come into this? Well, once again, I'm not saying go out there and run a marathon. It's really about being very intentional. What kind of movement do I like? What kind of movement makes me feel good? What kind of movement adds value? A lot of people think you've got to do some crazy CrossFit workout. If you want to, feel free. But if you just like to walk, then walk. So moving your body is similar to eating healthy food in that both gives you more capacity. Number four, schedule downtime. What does that even mean, downtime? It means time that you could just be sitting down and staring at a wall. Everybody should have a little bit of that, but highly sensitive people on the whole tend to be people who need more of it. But the only way you're going to get downtime is if you say no to stuff. This gets back to that idea of minimalism. You're going to be asked, especially as a millennial, to come and join in so many things. We are a group that have some serious FOMO. Fear of missing out. If you don't know what that is, it's probably a good thing. Um, I was only told because I lived in the city and a friend of mine was just like, Oh my god, I'm so FOMO. I, I am the opposite of a FOMO. I never have any fear of missing out. <laughs> I perhaps could uh, stand to have a little more of it. But anyway, downtime isn't something that's going to just appear not for most of us, and especially not for millennials. Because most of the jobs that are out there and that are available for us are jobs that require us to be very flexible, very nimble, and on call. So if we just sort of go with the flow of life, downtime might not present itself on its own, not in an organic way. So we really have to be intentional about scheduling it, putting some time that's specific for you to just sit and stare at a wall. So anytime that you're asked if you want to attend an event or do a thing, really sit down and ask yourself, will that add value? Will it add as much value as sitting still and just having some downtime? Number five, schedule time away from electronic devices. So millennials are unique in that they are perhaps the first generation to really get full-blown exposure to smartphones and internet and all this stuff and to have had it all the time. It's part of how we work. It's part of how we communicate with our friends. It's a huge part of all of those things. And there's a lot of research that says at the very least that this might not be good. And there's some research that suggests it's nefarious. I don't really know the answer. I feel like any generation loves to tell the generation just behind it or in front of it. or what, Every generation loves to tell the younger one, you whippersnappers with those insert whatever thing here. So I'm sure there was a generation who said, you whippersnappers with your stupid TVs. And then the next one, you're like, you whippersnappers with your stupid computers. And now it's you whippersnappers with your stupid smartphones and your Facebook and whatever. There's a lot of good that comes with having the devices that we have, the technology that we have. For example, I'm speaking to you right now from my home. I have a microphone, I have a laptop, I have some equipment, but it wasn't a lot of equipment, and I can post this online with anyone who I want to share, with anyone with whom I want, you know what I meant. Anyway, I can do these things. I, uh, I do health coaching through an app. 
I also teach at Kaiser, so I, I keep myself busy, but a lot of the things that I do are only possible because we have access to these tools. So the upside is I can work whenever and wherever I want to, so I have a lot of flexibility in my scheduling. It's just that the downside is that I can work anywhere and at any time that I want to. This can be hard specifically for highly sensitive millennials because highly sensitive people, as a rule, are highly conscientious, perfectionistic. Some even might say neurotic. I wouldn't say that, but some might say that. Anyway. So having access to these electronic devices can leave us a pang of guilt. Just to give an example, many highly, well, I'm not going to say it, many millennials have jobs that now have something called unlimited PTO. Some, the first time I heard of this, I thought it was a joke, but it, it's real. Unlimited paid time off. Here's the kicker, though. Most of them never use it. So it's sort of a catch. It's like, you can have as much time off as you want, but the culture suggests that you really shouldn't take it. You know, you're best served not calling in sick. So if you bring all of these pieces together, you have a highly conscientious person who's easy to overstimulate, and then you give them an electronic device that allows them to work at any time. The upside is they might be really creative with how they uh, develop a career. The downside is you might be contending with a person who never actually takes any time off, who doesn't say do number four, schedule downtime. So in addition to that, it's, there's a lot of research that shows that the constant pinging and panging and noising and whatever from our little gadgets are addictive. We're transfixed by these things, and even though we might have 200, 500, 1,000 Facebook friends, are we really connecting with the people in a meaningful way? Because this, again, is a catch for a highly sensitive person. Highly sensitive people have much stronger needs in the realm of intimacy, not just sexual, but any kind of relationship that they develop. They want a lot of depth, as a rule. So I don't just want to talk to you about how your day was, and blah, 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 blah. No, I want to... What's eating at your soul? What are your dark secrets? What do you want to do when you're an adult? Because we've all agreed none of us have reached it yet. And so we want to ask those really deep, profound questions. We want to dig down and figure out what makes you tick. It's hard to do that in a 160-character soundbite or soundbite Twitter feed. You know, it's hard to do that when you're texting. All of those nuances of facial expressions and tone are lost. So you have these devices that are pretty addictive and are pulling us away from developing meaningful relationships with others. You know, again, it's a tool. There's nothing inherently wrong with phones. And I'm not even saying there's anything wrong with social media. I'm using social media. Are you getting? All I'm saying is there's something to be said. Wow, I'm saying and setting a lot. Um, there's value in putting it away. Once again, it brings it back to that minimalist question. In what way does this add value to my life? How much is enough? It's not about, oh, I'm th I, I can't tell you how often I hear this. Well, I don't watch cable TV. Or, oh, I never bring my phone to da 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 
please. Don't judge me, people. I have, I'm a grown-up, and I have grown-up things to do. Some of that grown-up stuff includes emails. You know, back off of me and don't judge me. That stuff can come up when I feel the judgment. So I'm not saying that anyone who uses their electronic devices to connect with their friends or engage in their work is inherently childish. What I'm trying to say is there's value in posing the question to yourself. How is this adding value for me? And there's value in scheduling time away from it so that you can notice the difference. Number six, schedule time to connect with people you care about. So I put this right after that electronic devices bullet point for this very reason. Electronic devices are a great way to communicate, but they're no substitute for face-to-face -face contact. It's not a substitute for a hug. You know, physical touch, I, I'm not even kidding. A, a very close friend of mine said that a gentleman that she's been talking to said that he's at the point in his development where he doesn't need physical touch. And my response was, that's bullcocka. We all need physical touch. And if he thinks he's special, please. I might be wrong. I'm very open to being wrong about that. But in my experience, I've never met a person who didn't, at least on some level, require physical touch. I need a lot of it. I'm a hugger. I need... Uh, I love holding hands with my beloved. I love a big hug from my mom or my dad. I love it. You know, I, I embrace my friends with hugs. I, I, I need more of it than the average person, but I don't know anyone who truly needs none of it, who doesn't need a smile from their friends, who doesn't need on some level that connection, that real connection. So even though electronic devices and social media might be a good way to get that, to sort of keep keep the connection intact, scheduling time to really connect and dig deeper is essential. But once again, I bring back that, that question, how much? Because everyone's going to answer this question differently. I'm an introvert. I'm a hermit. I could spend hours and hours by myself and be delighted. <laughs> so in a lot of ways, social media, you know, electronic devices, they're great for people like me because I can stay connected. I can text. I don't have to go have a 60-minute conversation over the phone, which I would dread. I can just, you know, connect from afar. And there's something lovely about that. But that doesn't mean I, I have zero need for real contact. When I want connection, I want the real deal. I want the real McCoy. And that's my response. There's a certain amount of time I just need to come to a friend, if for no other reason than to have another person, you know, listen to me voice all of my crazy crackpot ideas and thoughts and concerns so that I can hear someone say, Leah, calm down. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> Highly sensitive people, when it comes to their relationships, tend to have a higher maintenance caliber of... Like a, a higher caliber requirement, a higher requirement, higher... Ca anyway, you know what I'm trying to get at here. Highly sensitive people, as a rule, want connection, and they want that connection to be deep and authentic. So you should schedule the time for that. Number seven, develop a stress management technique. Uh, I really don't think there is a technique that's super special. Some people say, oh, you should do transcendental meditation. Other people say yoga. Other people say, I just want to listen to my heavy metal music. Leave me alone. 
I don't really care what it is. A stress management technique can be anything that brings you peace. A stress management technique is not something that numbs you. Those are two very different things. So there are times when I sit in front of a Netflix stream and have every intention to binge. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what I'm talking about when I say stress management technique. That's not actually processing or helping me to get through the gunk of stress. That's numbing it. And I don't know about your experience, but my personal experience with Netflixing or video gaming or whatever is that it turns a lot of the stuff off for a little while, but as soon as I turn that game off or as soon as I turn that TV off, bam, it's right back again. So whatever the stress management technique that you develop and cultivate, I recommend that it not involve numbing. Another version of numbing that often comes into play, food. Highly sensitive people are known to numb with food. That is not a stress management technique. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing amoral about it or immoral. It's just, uh, it's just not stress management. So, once again, you want to be talking to yourself about what is enough and how much do you value this thing. Some people can meditate for hours. I'll give you a half an hour. That's about all I got. <laughs> so, number eight this one's a little controversial and I fully anticipate that there are some people who will not agree with me on this but schedule time for sex you might be interested to know that millennials have the least amount of sex than any other generation at least any other generation that we've been studying and I don't really know how long we've been studying sex in people so that could be a catch it, still <laughs> We're not doing the deed very often. And why would we? How could we? We don't have the time. <laughs> We're working two, three jobs. We're trying to balance our health with our career, with our budget. <laughs> We're trying to do all of these things. It's not necessarily conducive to an ooh-la-la moment. If you have a romantic partner, and if sex is something that you value, schedule it. Once again, there is no number that is appropriate. It's not like, oh, well, couples that have sex once a week are the healthiest, or couples that have three times a week, or once a month. There's no magic number. It's the number that's appropriate for you. But there's a ton of research that talks about the importance of having a healthy sex life, whatever that means to you, or a healthy relationship to your sexuality might be a better way of saying this. If you hate sex and have no desire for it, then zero is your number, and that is fine. But I imagine you at least wanted to engage in the question. It's not about the answer. It's about engaging in that question. What is enough? What's right? How do I like it? Where do I want it? With whom do I want to have it? These are important questions. And since highly sensitive millennials in particular, I mean, highly sensitive people when it comes to sex, have this really, you know, like, well, there can't be too much stimuli, there can't be, you know, I can't be too stressed, I can't be too preoccupied, I need to be really connected with my partner, I want to feel, oh god, it goes on and on and on and on. So a highly sensitive millennial is in a particularly tough spot because they hunger for really deep connection. Often they hunger for that connection. I mean, there's, that's not to say there aren't highly sensitive people who don't do one-night stands. I guess what I'm trying to say really is highly sensitive people, in order to enjoy their sexual 
life, their sexuality, a sexual encounter, often need less stimuli around them, and they need a little bit more focus, which is hard to do when you're sitting there and thinking, oh god, did I remember to send off that email to so-and-so? I don't know. What? I just got a ping from my phone. Something went off. I wonder if they, did they like my Facebook post? It's really hard to get into the mood. <laughs> so, what a lot of couples who are successful in this area are saying, you have to schedule it. Schedule the time for it, if it's something that you value. So anyway, again, I bring this up not because everyone needs to be having sex and everyone needs to jump on that bandwagon immediately, but rather, I say it because millennials appear to be having so little of it and they don't necessarily seem to be happy about that fact. So schedule it. Highly sensitive people are great with calendars. Number nine, take some of that PTO. Dang it. <laughs> Not everyone has it. There are plenty of people who, are, who don't, aren't in a position to, you know, to build PTO or what have you. But for those millennials who have placed themselves in and worked themselves into a space that has unlimited PTO, take it. My God, what are you doing? Here's the problem, though. Most places that give unlimited PTO are banking on the fact that no one there will take it because the culture, the environment, is pleading with its employees not to do so. And if you have a millennial who's used to the economy being, you know, Jeff, what's a word for lousy? I need a more intense word. I'm trying to think of a word that's really, really bad, but not derogatory. It's not coming to me. I'll just say bad. It was terrible, horrible, horrible, terrible, no good, very bad economy. <laughs> it, we're used to that, and so we're scared. We don't want to be that person who's expendable, so we work our butts off. Add in the element of high sensitivity. Now you have a degree of conscientiousness that is difficult to surpass. Those two things together, like, you're never going to get somebody to take PTO. I work part-time at Kaiser, and for the last two or three years now, I haven't taken a single day off. This is the, I, I decided to take a little PTO this week because I'm practicing my preachings. But I had like 120 hours of PTO that I developed over the course of two or three years. I just never used it. Never occurred to me. I thought, meh, why should I do that? It just it didn't, it didn't even come to me as a question. We need to be taking it. If you have it, take advantage of it. If you don't have it, it re nevertheless, it is important to find some way to just unwind. People who take vacations tend to be healthier. People who take a few days off tend to be happier. You don't need to take a six-week break. You don't need to have three weeks of paid time off. It's really just, can you take a weekend? Can you take a week? What do you have? What's available to you? What would add value to your life? Now, if you're one of those people that just absolutely loves everything you do and you have no desire to take a day off, then you're a freak. I don't know what you're talking about. I love what I do. I love what I do. Nevertheless, when I have a day where I just don't think about work, it allows me to do that much better the following week. So I implore you, take some time off. And finally, for those of you millennials who have a side hustle, I don't know the statistics, but I'm just going to guess it's a high number. Make sure that your side hustle is something you actually like. 
I can't tell you how many people I know who have a side hustle because they want to have some outlet, some creative outlet, or they want to have some work that's meaningful to them. This is really common with highly sensitive people. It's not solely true of them, but it's particularly true of them. There's this hunger. I want the work I do to serve. I want the work I do to be meaningful. And right now I'm a janitor and I don't have a problem with that, but that doesn't allow me to really dig deep and, and, and engage in the way that I want to with other people. So I have this side hustle. They'll tell me I have a underwater basket weaving practice. I have a podcast. I write a blog. I They're doing all of this stuff, not just for the money. I imagine some of them are getting paid, perhaps even getting paid well, but they're doing it because they just, they're hungry. They're hungry. But a lot of times what I hear are, you know, the narratives I hear from, from millennials and as a rule are, oh, I have this side hustle and it pays me money, but I don't really like it. Do you need the extra money, I ask? Nah, not really. I mean, I, I like it. I like having the extra money, and, you know, never, extra money never hurts. It's kind of like, <sighs> look, if you don't need the extra money and you're doing a thing you don't like, what is wrong with you? I mean, there's if you love the act of accumulating wealth and you your big thing is you love finances and you like to play and you want to save, you want to invest, that's a totally different thing because that's still it's still in alignment with what you care about. But what if you but make your side hustle something that you love. I mean, my god, you've already got another job. Let this be your area where you get to do something that you just you care about. Cuz millennials as a rule all, all I I don't know a single person in my circle who at one time or another didn't have a side hustle most of them still do so that in mind these are the top 10 health tips that i would recommend for the highly sensitive millennial and again i tried to make it very specific to millennials like to, to the plight the millennials are facing you know we have this crappy economy and we have these uh, these tech, this, these elements of technology. We, we have these flexible work schedules. We have all this stuff going on. It's great. It has a lot of good stuff inherent in it, but it does also come with some challenges. So, um, having said all of that, I am sure there's stuff that I missed. So I'm curious if there's anyone out there who identifies as you know a, a highly sensitive person and wants to share maybe some of the strategies that they've developed over time or maybe the challenges that's specific to them as a highly sensitive millennial i would love to hear from you like what is your experience as a highly sensitive millennial what are your greatest challenges and what are the strategies you use to navigate those challenges thanks a lot uh, i hope you have a wonderful day and i will catch you next week